I enjoy, I've mentioned this before from the front, I enjoy like paper writing and, and having a, a body paragraph and a thesis and all these things that lead to something. I want to talk about why it's important for us to make room for Jesus. So that will kind of set the stage for this whole thing. And I think first and foremost, it's that without Jesus, we really are nothing. Um, not to say that things can't happen, good things can't happen in this world without Jesus. Many things have been done, great, great things, by people who don't know Jesus. But I would submit that doing things for the kingdom, that are significant for the kingdom of God, would actually be incredibly difficult, maybe impossible without him. And so I just want to read from, uh, from John 15. Um, you've heard this before. Most definitely, but I'm going to read it again. John 15, Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's where I get the idea from. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. I think it's pretty clear here what our options are without Jesus. If we are trying to exist without being, in this metaphor, attached to the vine we're not really good for much as far as the kingdom goes. We can't really do kingdom work well without Christ. So for us as Christians, we, we need to be making room for him in our lives. Now, does that mean that if we stop paying attention to Jesus or don't make room for him, that, that he walks away from us? No, I, I, I wouldn't say that it does. Uh, in Deuteronomy 31, uh, God says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. In this context, he's talking to the Israelites about sending them into the promised land, saying, I'm, I'm going to go with you. I'm not going to leave you there. But it's repeated again in Hebrews in, in the context of the, the changeless Christ, in the sense that Jesus doesn't change, so he's not going to leave you. So not, it's not to say that if we don't make room for him, that he doesn't make room for us. But it's actually important for us to make room for him in our lives. And as I was thinking about this idea of what, is, what can we even do for the kingdom without him, I thought, I'm sure my life has plenty of examples when I tried to do this. And I thought back to when I was uh, working at camp uh, way back in the day. I worked at a camp called Dallas Valley uh, just outside of Regina. I grew up going there. And uh, I remember my first summer as a cabin leader uh, when I had to lead these morning and evening devotions by myself. Um, and because I was, I was fresh, I was 17 years old, just graduated high school, I was ready to do this, um, I spent a lot of time praying and a lot of time listening to God, a lot of time studying, a lot of time preparing for these devotions because I thought, this is a follow-up to chapel. I really need to do a good job of this. Anybody who's worked at camp knows that that time is quite important. And so the first few weeks, I think I did a pretty good job. Kids were engaged. There were lots of questions. It was awesome. 
And then by the end of the summer and in years following, I got a little prideful and thought, I don't need to prep, I know what I'm doing. So I stopped prepping, I stopped praying, uh, and I noticed that I was a lot more confused when I was speaking, um, trying to figure out where I was going with this without any real plan. And that made the kids confused, and that made our times kind of pointless, kind of fruitless. And as the years wore on, I just kept going with this because I thought, it's way easier for me not to prep. I have way more time to do stuff during the week. I only have 23 hours off on the weekend, so I'd like to spend that with my friends. I'd rather not be prepping devotions for the whole week. And uh, I really do think that my part in that piece of the ministry suffered. Now, God can work, and maybe those kids heard something supernatural, but certainly did not come from my mouth uh, during that time. I did not make room for Jesus in that, in that moment. I thought that what I was doing was more important, and I really do think that uh, those years at camp were not my, not my greatest years there uh, as far as my ministry to the kids. Um, so I think for us to be able to make room for Jesus is important because we need to. I think first and foremost, that would be my foundation, that we actually really need to. The second point I would make is that we could use a break from everything else. Um, we are people who are busy. We are people who are lazy. You're people who are afraid um, in, in, in many different respects in all of those ways. Busyness in our life and in our culture is an epidemic. Um, I'm not the first to tell you this. I certainly won't be the last to tell you this, that we as a, we as a people are incredibly busy, always doing things. Um, it's seemingly a badge of honor in our society to tell you how busy we are. I understand the irony of explaining my last 15 months to you because I made it sound like every month was full of stuff. And in my head, I'm gonna, in, in my head that says, oh, okay, well, this lets them know that I had lots of stuff going on, and that's a good thing. For, so even for me, I, I admit the irony in this in telling you that, that all those things, because I know that busyness, when we approach it and we tell people how busy we are, it's like it makes us look good. So I can think of a typical conversation of how I would do this. Um, if someone came up to me this morning and asked, Spencer, how are you doing? I would say, well, Monday I worked for eight hours, then I had small group Bible study afterwards. Tuesday I worked for eight hours, and I ran a youth program for another five hours. Then I went out with the youth leaders to Earl's afterwards. Then on Wednesday, I worked for another eight hours. The battery died in my uncle's car, so I had to pull the battery out over lunch, charge it in the afternoon, and go back to work, and then replace it, and then pick him up from the airport late at night on Wednesday. Then Thursday, I worked another eight hours, and then I ran the, youth, uh, the young adults program for four hours that night. Friday, we had family photos as a family, and then I helped out at junior high quickly. Didn't actually do that. They handled it just fine without me. Then I had my mom's choir concert Friday night. Then on Saturday, we tried to clean the house a little bit. Didn't work out. Uh, we ended up car shopping for four hours, and then I went to a friend's house all night, all while prepping a sermon and having a newborn baby. So that's, this is what I would tell people when they asked me how I was doing. That's not what they were wondering. They didn't ask what I was doing. They asked how I was doing inside. And yet this would be my typical response. This is what happened to me this week. This is what I would tell you because I'm selfish and I want you to feel like I'm important. For some reason, talking about busyness like this makes, I think it's supposed to impress people. I think it's supposed to um, make me seem more important than I really am. I think it's supposed to validate my poor performance. Oh, well, he had a busy week. It's okay. I think, sometimes I think I'm a better person because I have stuff to do. I see all this in myself, and I know that there's some of us that would feel the same way, that could identify those things in ourselves as well. And yet, after 
a week like this, I look back at full evenings and full days and some sleepless nights, and I think, man, I wish I had more time with my family, and I wish I had more time with Jesus. I'll be completely honest with you, this was not a good week for me to spend time with Jesus, even though I'm writing a sermon about how we should. (laughs) At the beginning of the week, I told myself, I'm going to set out some time every day this week, and it's going to be a great sermon illustration come Sunday. It's not. It's not a great sermon illustration. Um, because we, I, underst- I know that you understand what busyness feels like. Because you experience it every day. Um, I have a book here, and I don't, I don't envy busy people is what I wanted to say there. I have a book here called Barna Trends 2017. The Barna Group is a research group uh, in the United States, a Christian group who surveys people all over the United States, sometimes for Christian-related things, sometimes not. Um, This book is chocked full of trends they've seen in the last few years and how it affects 2017. Um, If you would like to borrow this book, too bad I'm still reading it. Uh, But you can buy it. I think it's only $20. Um, If you're interested in that, it's really helpful. There is some incredibly good stuff in here that lets you know what other people are experiencing in our world. And I have a quote here from it about busyness. It says this, Facing obstacles in your spiritual growth slow down. A majority of all church leaders, 85%, believe busyness is a major obstacle to discipleship. Two-thirds of church leaders, 65%, also feel that busy schedules keep mature believers from discipling younger ones. These are high percentages of thousands of people who were surveyed on this. 85% of people believe that busyness is a major obstacle to discipleship. Just going to let that sink in. That is a significant amount of people who believe that. And I feel that in myself. If I can't make room for Jesus, how can I make time for others to build into me? Same thing with the the other quote there. 65% feel that busy schedules keep older, mature believers from discipling younger ones. We're losing peer-to-peer mentorship, and we're losing top-down mentorship from older to younger because of busyness. And that's scary. That's really, really scary. Being busy is, is hurting us spiritually, and I also think emotionally and physically. Um, so maybe we have to give up things that, that clutter our lives, and maybe they're not even bad kinds of clutter. Maybe we have to give up our love for, for things like, like money or our career or our love for ourselves. Maybe we have to give up doing extra things. Maybe we have to give up that 20 minutes you spend on your phone or your iPad at night or your PlayStation or the endless amounts of hours you spend on social media uh, in a day. Maybe you have to give up an extra 15 minutes of sleep, which I understand now is so precious. (laughs) But maybe you have to give that up in order to spend a bit more time with Jesus. These are sacrifices I think we actually really have to make because of how important it is to do this with him. And I think way on the other end of the spectrum, laziness also really, really affects us. Not caring also really affects us. Um... There is a trend within younger people to think that it's considered cool to not care about things. Um, this was the thing when I was, was in high school and I thought it would go away. It hasn't. It's still really cool not to care about stuff. Uh, Chance the Rapper is a rapper, in case you haven't guessed that. He's a very influential guy uh, in, in our generation right now. And he has a quote that says this, Our generation thinks it's cool not to care. It's not. Effort is cool. Caring is cool. Staying loyal is cool. Try it out. 
He's speaking against a generation that I am a part of where not caring seems to be the cool thing to do. I hear it every week how people um, think it's awesome that they failed a test. They think it's funny that they got a 51% on the test and they got a mercy pass. Um, You're viewed as cool if you don't put effort into things because you're too good for that. And for many people my age and younger, there's nothing cooler than being at home alone Saturday night watching Netflix and eating chicken nuggets. There is nothing cooler to many people than that. So I think we have to find some, a middle ground somewhere in this. Because I don't think extreme busyness is, happy, is, is a good thing, but I don't think extreme laziness is a good thing either. So for us to find a middle ground where we can actually make time for Jesus while we're not just absolutely doing nothing and not caring about anything else is going to be healthy. And I don't know what that middle ground looks like necessarily. It's going to look different for each of us. But we certainly can't make room for Jesus if we're too busy. And we certainly won't make room for Jesus if we're too lazy. I also think that we are afraid. I think we are afraid of silence. I think we fill our lives with so many things that silence becomes not only secondary, but almost non-existent for many of us. Even when we're at home, there's, in my house anyway, there's music playing or the TV's on. Um, So I, I get it. I do get it because silence is actually really awkward. That was 30 seconds. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I felt like an eternity. It was 30 seconds. And I thank you for filling the silence, by the way, back there. And I understand how it can feel really strange. And, you know, I, I get it. It's not great. We don't love it. And I don't know if that has been built into us or if it's intrinsic to human nature. But I, I think that silence is really, really good for us. Um, a story that I often think of is in 1 Kings, um, where God is speaking to Elijah. Uh, you've again heard this story as well, um, but uh, this, this happened. So God says, So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a sound of gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah was seeking out the voice of the Lord, and God said he would come on this mountain. He said, Go to the mountain, I will be there. And all of these amazing things happened, these loud, brash, powerful things happened, and God was not there in any of them until this still, small voice came to Elijah. I think this is very similar to what we need in our lives. We have large, loud things in our lives every single day for many, most hours of the day, and yet God often speaks through those quiet times. Uh, I think of Exodus 33 where Moses is speaking to God and and God asks him to go up on a mountain because Moses says, I want to see you. And God says, okay, go up on the mountain. He had to remove himself from the Israelites. He had to remove himself from everything that was going on 
down in the valley, and he had to go separate himself to hear, to, and to hear from and to see God. Jesus did the same thing. He removed himself from what was going on to go pray. Sometimes only a stone's throw away from his disciples, but always away. He went to go pray away from things, away from the noise, away from the clutter. This is hard for us to do. Where do we go to get away? Maybe it's your office. Maybe it's uh, a room in your house. Maybe it's a room in the church. Whatever it is, we actually really need to get, myself included, a lot better at finding places to be silent along with God. I think I might have ruined one this morning. On my way to work, um, I was walking, and I caught up to Pastor Kevin. And I, as I caught up to him, I had this moment where I thought, I really hope this isn't his quiet time with God this morning because I'm about to intrude on it. So maybe it is. Maybe for you it's 15 minutes as you go to work. Maybe it's a 15-minute walk around the block just to spend some time with Jesus. But busyness is hurting us, and silence is a good thing for us. I think we're also afraid of making space for Jesus because we're afraid of what he might say to us. I think we're afraid that he might call us into something difficult or make us aware of our sins or sacrifice something that we like doing, or forgive someone we don't want to forgive. I think we're afraid of that interaction sometimes. The third point is that I think we just need to know Jesus more. I think this is another reason it's important to spend time with him. Um, Because making room for him means spending a lot of time with him. Um, A lot of you would know that I am a massive hockey nerd. Um, I love to watch it. I love to read about it. I love to study it and analyze it. I coached when I, when I lived in Karenport, um, and I, for a long time I was writing about it. So I was, I was writing for a couple different websites, uh, and I still write on the side now, but this, this allowed me to um, parlay some of this writing into another situation for a magazine called Love is Moving. Uh, it's a young adults magazine in Canada, and they asked for young adults around the country to submit stories. And so I, I wrote an article focusing on our need to be more like Jesus. And of course, I related it to hockey because that's what I do with everything. And so I have some quotes here that I just want to read to you about knowing Jesus better. So imagine you're a hockey player. Say your favorite player is Sidney Crosby and your dream is to make it to the NHL and be the best player in the world. You do whatever you can to pattern your career after Crosby. You study his skating, his positioning, how he handles the puck behind the net, how he enters the attacking zone, how he acts in post-game interviews, and every other little detail that makes him a great player. These things matter to you because you want to emulate Sidney Crosby's success and you want to be known as someone who is like him. Now imagine you're a Christian. Likely your ultimate goal in life is to be like Jesus Christ so you model your life after his. You study how he healed the sick, how he interacted with sinners, how he prayed, what kind of things he taught, how he handled temptation, how he led his disciples, and every other powerful detail about him. Being like Jesus is more important than being like Sidney Crosby, a fact that I'm still trying to convince myself of. If we want to be more like Jesus and know him more, he needs to be studied by us. Now, many of us interact with Jesus in different ways. My favorite way is to actually read scripture. That's, that's how I interact best. And I think that I'm going to make a large sweeping statement So I apologize if I offend you with this, but I think that many of us are very biblically illiterate. I feel like we don't really know our Bibles as well as we should, myself included. I'm putting myself in that category. There are many exceptions to this. Um, One that I can think of is sitting right among us. His name is Ralph Gleagie. I heard him preach a number of years ago um, 
uh, I, I believe it was in Regina. He thinks it was in Saskatoon. But either way, he was preaching on the book of Jude. And rather than talking about it and, and reading it, he memorized the book of Jude and recited it. And it was, honestly, one of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard in my entire life. Because this man has committed himself to studying Scripture, knowing it front to back, and bringing it to us in a way that it, where it comes alive, in a way that um, it was meant to be read and written. Knowing the Word of God happens less and less in our lives. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to just move ahead here. Um, but some more, trend, uh, some more trends from this Barna book. In 2013, uh, the question was asked to U.S. adults, how often do you read your Bible outside of church? 19% said every day, 18% said never. That's pretty much the same. We'll say 19% for both of them. Would be every day, and it would also be never. Three years later, the question was asked again, how often do you read your Bible outside of church? 14% said every day, 26% said never. I imagine in the last year it's gotten larger, the group that says never. And as a whole, we're probably not spending time with Jesus as much as we should. And for some of us, that means we need to be reading scriptures more. For some of us, it means we need to be more engaged in worship. For some of us, it means we need to be more engaged in prayer. There's many different ways that we can be spending time with Jesus and knowing him more. And you need to know how that works for you. So I think that these three things are incredibly important for us. We are, without Jesus, we are nothing. We could use a break from everything else going on in our lives, and we need to know Jesus more. When we hear the Christmas story, uh, I often scoff at the way the innkeeper reacts. I say, how could you not make room for a pregnant lady who's about to give birth? And yet, I don't make room for the baby she gave birth to. I don't make room in my own life for Jesus nearly enough. For many of us, we need to be making room for Jesus daily in our lives. For some of us, we need to make room for Jesus for the first time. For some of us, maybe again, for a second or third or fourth or fifth, sixth time. Jesus, Jesus plays a pretty big role in our lives if we let him. And I want to leave you with this visual that um, Jesus actually stands, this is scriptural, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. So imagine him at your front door knocking here at Christmas to spend time with you. And it's on us to let him in. He could forcefully open the door if he wants to, but he doesn't. He waits for us to let him in. So I want to challenge us as a congregation, myself included, to actually make room for Jesus, invite him in more often than we do right now.